Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Alright, so today we'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 3 through 11. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to tell us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Once again, good morning. I'm excited that you're here. If you're new, welcome. Um, So last week we started a new series as we moved through the book of Ecclesiastes. And so I'm going to put kind of a warning label as we move forward. Um, The book of Ecclesiastes can actually produce some depression if you let it. Right? I think one of the realities of wisdom literature is that it addresses things that really hit home. And when we read a passage like this, I think that there's, there's a, a reality that we have to understand as we move through life. And the first half of this sermon, as I go through this passage, my concern is that we could all kind of just go, oh man, is there really anything? And so I want to kind of enhance this by saying we're not going to end that way, okay? But I want you to go on a journey with me. And I want you to process what Solomon is actually attempting to say here. Um, Really think about it. Um, For some of us who like to think in philosophical ways, this is your shot. Okay? So I'm just going to kind of dive right in here because there's a lot to cover today. So if you aren't there, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting at verse 3. This is what it says. What does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? A question is asked. Okay, um, this word toil is important. It basically means work, but it's not just like vocational work. It's work that we do on a regular daily basis. Okay, um, I think that as we, as we look at the question that Solomon is asking, it's easy for us to go back to the book of Genesis and be reminded of the curse. Okay, I, it doesn't take, you don't have to be a Christ follower, to understand that the world that we're living in is broken. It feels that way. There's there's something innate inside of every human being that has a tendency to look at the things that are going on around us and say, that's not how that's supposed to be. And though you can come from different ideas and maybe political differences and so on and so forth, there's still this push you know, I don't know necessarily what the solution is, but we can all recognize that that's wrong. 
you know, I, I get emotional anytime, and I'm not, I'm, not this, I'm not a pacifist, but I get emotional when I see acts of war. Because I just believe nobody wins. Right? You, 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 there's certain things that we fight for, but in the midst of war and watching tragedy and f- lives needlessly lost and families ripped apart, you look at that and say, this isn't how this is supposed to be. I get heartbroken when I see families struggle together, right? Broken marriages. Um, I, I shared some of my testimony last week about like, my family history and the pain that goes on through that. You know, mentioning that I think I'm the only one in my family who still talks to everyone in my family and watching just the the devastation of emotions and hardships and how people handle that differently and just refuse to reconnect, that we look at that and say, that's not how that's supposed to be. And it, it creates pain, right? I, I think there's this reality of understanding that the world is a mess, and we can explain that. Most weeks you'll hear me say something like, it's hard because we're sin-cursed beings living in a sin-cursed world. I don't always put legs to that, but if you go to Genesis chapter 3, you're going to find that the world was created differently. It was created in a way that allowed mankind to commune with the Lord in perfection, and the world that was created to do that in not only drew us closer to the Lord, but it, it revealed who He was in a way without the devastation or the hurt. And then, we know the story. I mean, you don't have to have grown up in church world to have seen a cartoon of Adam and Eve take a bite of an apple and you're like, what's the big deal? The big deal is that ultimately mankind chose to trust themselves over God. And in doing that, it, it created what we call sin, right? The, the, the first sin occurs. And, and sin is easily defined as just anything that displeases God. As a result of that sin, God in Genesis chapter 3 curses everything. It's, this is the choice that you've made, and here's the ramifications of that choice. Now, if you're a parent, you get this, right? The worst thing you can do is attempt to teach your kids something without ramifications, because if they don't feel it, they're not going to learn, right? Same with me. The worst thing you can do is try to reprimand me. I want to feel the ramifications, right? We need to feel that. So we feel the ramifications of sin. We're living in the midst of it. So if you were to turn to Genesis 3, you'll find that there were several things that were cursed. The enemy was cursed. But in the midst of that, we were promised some hope. We've got the earth that was cursed, meaning the earth is no longer going to function the way that it was supposed to. We've got woman was cursed, we've got mankind was cursed, and one of the things that exists in the curse of mankind is that work, toil, labor, every just basic thing in life is going to be hard. That promise, that curse is a reality, right? It's hard to... to, to expect that life will be easy or there's this kind of utopian idea of I just, we talked about this last week, I just, if I just had this, life would get better. It's almost sinful to believe that. And, and, and 
when we look at what the Lord did and how the world functions, we have to understand that it's, we're not going to escape it. There's always going to be pain. There's always going to be suffering. There's always going to be poor. There's always going to be war. There's always going to be issues. Work is always going to be hard. And you're like, man, this is so encouraging, right? It's, it's reality. If you've ever thought, like, why does it have to be so hard? It feels like everything that I do just requires so much energy and effort. And the more I put into it, it doesn't even feel like I necessarily get more out of it, right? You, you can look at all the, I mean, it doesn't matter what realm you're in. Um, and it, we can do the most basic things, right? So if, you're, if you like to get fit, okay? So let's say you're a fitness person and you're like, man, I want to get better. As you start running or as you start doing whatever it is that you're doing, it only takes like, you can put like months and months and months of hard work in. It only takes a month off to where you're back to where you were before, right? And that's so depressing. I'm like, man, I have been running and running and running and I've been putting in the miles and then I got sick or my life got busy and then I went and I was a month off and I tried to go run again and I felt like I'd never run before. And you're like, oh, like it's so frustrating. And what's fascinating is that frustration in whatever realm that you're thinking through can cause us to, to make some choices in our life that actually make our job even more difficult, right? And so when we look at this question, I think in wisdom, Solomon's saying, hey, let's look at our reality and just accept that it's our reality for a moment, okay? Like, in, instead of trying to, like, hide from it, Let's just accept the fact that every single person in this room and every single person on the planet is currently suffering in some way. Some more than others, I understand that. Every time we do work, every time we do a job, every time we put effort and energy into something, it costs us something, right? You, you say, oh, I'm going to put all of this energy and effort, and then you're, you go, oh, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm burnt out. I need relief. It's, it's the reality that we have to accept. He enhances this reality as he moves forward, and when I say that it gets depressing, he's going to use some examples that I think are awesome and that we need to think about. So he, here's the question he poses, right? What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> there's a reality to this. Like, we have, there's so many people in certain generations that were famous during their time that you've never heard of and you're never going to probably hear of. Right? There's... There's people right now, like I told you last week, we talked about like this TikTok phenomenon and what we're calling influencers, right? That's going away eventually. And all of the individuals that were influencers are no longer going to be influencers and nobody's going to have a clue what we're talking about. Give it a couple generations, right? Generations come, generations go. It's just time keeps going. It, it's... I think one of the things that Solomon is trying to help understand is that in this world of time that just keeps pressing on, 
he's talking about his insignificance in this scope of the world. Right? Like, you, you will find later on that he'll compare his life to things like a grain of sand on the beach. That, you know, I'm, yes, I'm part of the whole, but if you were to remove me, does it really matter? Gener- the next generation is going to come. Anything that, that I've accomplished is just going to be passed on to the next person. As I work and I work and I work and I toil, the next generation may not even remember the work that I've done. It's just time marches on. Poets talk about this all the time. Um, Throughout generation, you can find this. You find it in you know, poetry in the Bible, in the book of Psalms. You find it in modern poetry where it's just like, man, it just feels like just time just keeps going. And he gives a couple examples of this. Generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. I think that the greatest insult to mankind is to be reminded that the earth was created for man, but the earth out-survives you. Think about that for a second. Like the earth was created for you in perfection and someday you're going to die and the earth's going to remain. That, that sounds backwards. That's not the way it was supposed to be. It, death wasn't supposed to be a thing. Right? So when you, when you process that the earth is going to out, you know, survive, you're going to die, the earth remains. When he talks about generations and time just moving on, you just, your life is kind of like, we talked about last week, a vapor. It, it's almost depressing to think about. He says in verse 5, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. Every morning, the sun rises and goes back down. Every morning, Every night we see it, right? It just happens. It's just monotonous. It's this monotonous repetition that just goes on and on and on. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning and the sun is going to come up and you're going to go to bed and the sun will have gone down and guess what's going to happen when you wake up in the morning? The sun's going to come up again. It's just this constant cycle of the world just turning and the same things happening over and over and over. The sun, I, I mean, I think one of the reasons the sun is such a cool analogy is if you think of the sun, it is, it's this powerful energy, right? Like, I don't know if there's any scientists in here, but we know that it's pretty hot and pretty big. That's the scientific terms for that, right? And it's pretty grand. I mean, if you, if you really, like, study the sun, it's pretty phenomenal when you think about it, what it does and how it functions. It's pure power and energy. But in our reality, all it does is just come up and down. Just goes up and down. Right? The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. I don't, I have a biology degree. My undergrad's in biology. I studied this stuff. I still get, I'm, I, I, I don't understand why the, why the you know, oxygen wants to move around. I don't get it. I get it, but I don't. Right? 
but the air just decides it's going to move, and then one day it's blowing west, and the next day it will blow east, and there's really no difference to it, except we live in East Boston, so the planes take off in a different direction, right? And it just blows, and does it really do anything? Well, you'd say, well, people in Florida say that it does something, right? It can cause damage, but ultimately the wind just blows. It just goes. It's, it's windy today, and what do we say? Man, it's starting to feel like fall. What's the problem? Well, now every time we open the door, the leaves start to blow in, so it's causing, it's causing havoc, but the reality is tomorrow the wind's going to stop. It's ultimately insignificant. Verse 7, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. (laughs) Interesting. I I think it's fascinating that there's so much science in Scripture that they don't realize that they're explaining. But have you ever thought about the fact that, I mean, we, we understand the water cycle. I get that. But have you ever thought about the fact that the rivers are constantly flowing, but the sea is never overflowing? Right? And when you go, okay, what is Solomon trying to explain here? The reality is that you can go out to a river or a creek or whatever it is. Man, if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, right? If you haven't, go sometime. It needs to be on your checklist because standing next to that fall and just feeling the immense power of that much water falling, it makes your heart beat fast. Right? It's so powerful but something that powerful that's working nonstop over and over and over and over seemingly has no effect on the end result. How frustrating. Like, it's like the rivers and the, are just running on this treadmill and really getting nowhere. I keep dumping water into the ocean and I have no impact on it whatsoever. You ever feel that way? I was trying to, I mean, and these are pretty... Pretty awesome analogies as Solomon's thinking through this. And I was trying to think of some things in my life that are very small that might help you associate this. Anybody in here ever do laundry? There's always laundry. Right? It's frustrating. So in our household, we share chores. Okay? So if you walk by, you see the the laundry basket full, then sometimes I'll sort the clothes out, sometimes Christy will sort the clothes out. It doesn't matter. We just want to get the laundry done right? I, I, I don't mind doing laundry, but I feel like it's endless. It's endless. It just goes. If you have kids, like, it's beyond endless, right? If you have a lot of kids, some of you have five kids, I'm like, I can't imagine the amount of laundry that you go through, right? For those of you who like to garden, Weeds are frustrating. It's like, I just pulled those weeds up and they're back. Right? I, I love this one. This is one for me. So I, they, I'm constantly told, you're not drinking enough water, right? Which I agree with. I tend to pick coffee over water because I just figure it's just water that's gone through the yum-yum machine, right? <laughs> so well, it's water, but I'm constantly told, like, you're not drinking enough water. And I'm like, I feel like I'm drinking water all the time. And so I'll have a day where it's like, okay, I drink all the water that they're telling me I'm supposed to drink. And then you know what they tell me? You have to do it again tomorrow. 
And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, it never ends. The cycle just keeps going, right? Have you ever had a job that felt that way? Okay, so this is, I don't know if you're going to judge me for this or not, but I'm going to tell you what one of my first jobs was. You ready? I was a paper shredder. It was exciting. <laughs> so every single morning, right, when I was working, so, I mean, I was a kid, and my family owned this storage facility that was called record storage, and then we would shred things, right? And when I say that I was a paper shredder, it wasn't like one page at a time sticking into a little office shredder. The, the shredder that I worked on would, like, fill this room, right? It could shred paper like this thick, okay, with no problem. And so this was my job. I would show up at 8 o'clock in the morning, and there would be these bends, right? So th uh, they looked like what we put our trash in or our recycling in that we roll out to the curb every week. That's what they looked like. And they were just filled with documents, like from medical offices or whatever it was. And my job was to empty the bin and throw it into the shredder. And then it would drop the shreddings into a bag. And so when the bag got full, I would walk around to the other end of the shredder, tie off the bag, throw it onto a pile, and then start again. And I did that for eight hours a day. I, I ugh, so hard. You know, it, it's, I, I don't even know why I'm telling you this part. But the reason that I know every song and lyric by Madonna is because the person that I worked with was obsessed with Madonna, and it was on this feedback loop over and over and over and over and over. And so every day it was take paper out of a bin, shred it, put it on the pile, and listen to Madonna. Okay? There came a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, can't, I don't, like, it's just nonstop. No matter how much paper I shredded, there was another bin waiting for me. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a job that boring, but that's what it can feel like, right? Even jobs that you've studied for, worked for, dedicated your life to uh, obtain, you can find this, there's this excitement that comes into it, but over time, it begins to feel monotonous. This repetitive monotony over and over and over. I, I think that this is where, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road in life. Because how you choose to handle that monotony, and then what, I, what I'm trying to say is that even, you know, whether I'm paper shredding, which is, becomes monotonous after the first hour, or I'm in ministry, and everything's constantly changing, there's still, in my humanity, this monotony. I, I think we have moments where Jesus felt that, you remember those times when he was with his disciples and they would fail again and he's like, are you kidding me? Like how many times 
do I, don't make me pull this donkey over and come back there, right? Like how many times do I have to show you over and over and over the same thing? We have moments in Scripture where like Peter fails, right? And Jesus is going to, Jesus is, he spent three years with Jesus and Jesus has taught him what ministry looks like and, and how his life should look different. And in the midst of the struggle, what does Peter naturally do? Goes right back to the monotony that he knew before. I'm just going to go back and go fishing again. When I say this is where the rubber meets the road, I think when we get to this place in life where it's feeling monotonous, there's several different ways that we will attempt to handle that. And based on your personality, and your fatal flaws is going to determine whether you pick something that society might deem productive, but is still going to be monotonous or destructive, right? So the first person that I ever counseled in my life, his name was John, and he was the coroner in New York when 9-11 hit. His job was to have him and his team go into ground zero and find body parts, identify them, and then contact the families to let them know that they found a finger. And he did this for years. His job was just constantly coming back into the darkness of ground zero. And over time, he handled the monotony through a drug addiction. And that drug addiction ended up just ripping his life completely apart. And when you, when, I talk, I mean, when you talk to somebody like that, like John, and you say, what, what, at what, like, why? Why did you? And he said, I just needed to get numb. That's one way to respond to the monotony of life, right? Now, there's lots of ways to get numb. It doesn't have to be an addiction, though most are, right? Some of you get numb by playing video games, some of you get numb by reading novels. Typically, we're going to get numb by attempting to pretend that the world that we live in doesn't exist anymore and there's a new world that I want to be a part of. Right? So that can be, how do I get numb? I tend to get numb by doing something active. Right? I'll go run or I'll go to the gym or I'll do something that's going to produce adrenaline. Everybody numbs differently, right? There's this thing, once again, that's inside all of us where, I mean, it, not all numbing has to be negative. Some of us numb by just going, I'm just going to focus on my little family that's here and make sure that I'm the best father that I can be. And we're just going to forget about the world around us. Some of us numb by going, I'm just surviving and working for the next vacation, the next trip. Our generation, well, not my generation, the generation below, right? Like my generation, it seemed like the numbing and the hiding came in spending money and investing and buying homes and building this white picket fence. The generation behind me wants experiences, right? That's, it, that'll change again, but that's where we currently are. So instead of investing in a home, you'll invest in a vacation that takes you somewhere so you can experience something. And what do we do? We use that to escape, to numb. Why? Because the world is painful and it's hard and it's exhausting. 
It's interesting, though, when you really think about it, we can't ever escape it. Right? I mean, I think that reality hit me once when we, we took... We took, I was a youth pastor way back when, and one of the things we did is we took our seniors in high school on a senior trip, and we did a cruise to Mexico, right? And one of the spots that we stopped was this little, tiny town that has this street where the cruise boats come in that is painted very well and looks like this great tourist attraction, And then when you go one street in, you realize that it's all just paint and spackle and facade and people are hurting desperately for food. I remember like we just left and we went in and I'm like, we're feeding everybody we can possibly find. There's, even in the moments of numb, if you really look, what you're going to find is in your moments where you're, going through your experiences, the people right next door are still suffering. You can't escape it. We literally like take vacations from one place to another and we see all of the stuff and we act like it's all good, but you forget that the people that are living there are going through the same things that you're going through here and they're looking for an escape. Isn't that fascinating to think about? I think... That's what Solomon is trying to explain. It's, there is no escape. You can attempt, but it's not going to happen. Verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The, eyes, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. We get this. I think in Scripture there's these moments where or you'll even hear it today where people just say, man, if I could just see it, I would believe it. And I'd be like, no, you wouldn't. Well, what do you mean? Well, you see it every day. Scripture says that God's invisible attributes are everywhere. So when we see a tree, we see something in creation. We have that mountaintop experience. There's something innate built in us that says there's something that made that. We just choose to deny it. Right? Like, it's really weird. Like, I, you don't look at, like, this music stand right here and go, wow, what a great accident that this was created so that I could sit this down here. The random molecules came together. Like, you look at this and you go, somebody built that. It's innate in us. Right? But we just choose to deny it. I, if, if that's you, I just want to challenge you. Like, Jesus lived on the earth and performed miracles in front of people that people saw and went, I still don't believe it. There were people at the wedding where he turned water to wine and actually drank the wine and still said, I don't believe it. Seeing isn't believing, believing seeing. Uh, We get so tired of seeing the same things over and over. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I've talked to guys or, or women or whoever, I think it's probably equal now in addiction, but individuals who have like porn addiction, and they'll say, I started like, back, back in my day, there wasn't the internet, right? So they say, I started by looking at like Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, <laughs> and then it progressed from there because my eyes no longer were satisfied with what I was seeing. So then it goes to the next level, 
and now I'm looking at a different kind of magazine, and then internet came out, and now I have access to it whenever I want, as explicit as I want. And now people are going, that's not enough. My eyes get tired of seeing the same thing over and over again, right? Uh, maybe not as crude of analogy. Um, Marvel movies, whether you like them or not, I, I don't care if you like them or not, but just think about it, right? So the first one, you're like, wow, this is really out there. By the last one, you're like, I'm so tired of superhero movies, <laughs> right? I'm just tired of it. Like I'm seeing, I feel like I'm seeing, the, yes, the earth's in peril and somebody's gonna come in and save it and they have a little bit different power, but the reality is it's the same story over and over and over. We get tired of hearing it. We get tired of seeing it and we're looking for that next thing. Nothing satisfies. Verse nine, what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun. This idea of under the sun is gonna constantly come back in the book of Ecclesiastes and I wanna explain that but first I want you to understand when he says there's nothing new under the sun, we'll have some people go, well, Cell phones are relatively new, and computers are relatively new, and the internet's relatively new, and, and yes, that's accurate. But that's not what Solomon's talking about. He's talking in broad general strokes here, okay? So let me explain. A landowner back then is still a landowner today. A salesman back then is still a salesman today. An inventor back then is still an inventor today. It's still the same thing over and over. You might be selling something more technologically advanced, but you're no different than the salesman that was peddling rugs back in the day of Jesus. You just, you're selling rugs. Now I'm selling computers. It's the same thing over and over. Nothing new under the sun. A marketing agent is still a marketing agent. An athlete is still an athlete. There's nothing new under the sun. This idea of under the sun, what, it, what it's attempting to do here is help us delineate between what we see on earth with our eyes and what we experience and what is in reality above the sun, meaning where God is and what's happening. So in, in the Hebrew language, there was this delineation. It was like, here's what's happening in our present reality and on earth, but we know that there's kind of a divide here and there's this other level that's up above us or wherever and something different is happening there. And so when he says it's under the sun, what he's trying to constantly remind us is this is our experience. This is us on the earth with the realities of the curse, living life day to day, knowing that one day we will die. That's under the sun. But the important part of this under the sun is that that's not the only reality. And that's where we're going to come back to. That's where the hope comes in. Verse 10, is there, is there a thing which is said, see, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. One day you will be forgotten. I love you. Sometimes, I mean, I'm, I already am forgetting. I had really close friends in high school that I couldn't tell you their name. And if I saw them on the street, I had no idea who they are. 
I've forgotten them. I've experienced things in life. I'm only 47, but I've already experienced things in life that, like I was talking with my sister the other day and she was like, do you remember this? And I'm like, no. And she's like, we had so much fun. And I'm like, did that even happen? Like, I don't remember that at all. And I'm not, I don't think she's making it up. Maybe she's messing with my age. But I, I know I forget things. The other day, I was, I was literally, I don't even going to say who it was. I was literally talking to somebody I'm pretty close to, and I couldn't remember their name. I'm like, this is embarrassing. Like, you're my friend. I can't come up with your name. Like, I hated name tags before. I'm ready for them to come back. <laughs> right? It's bad. Like, I want to wake up in the morning and see my daughter and says, hello, my name is Lacey. And I'm like, yes, I got it. She's going to be offended by that later, just so you know, but I'm just using her as an example. I, <laughs> I hate to shave. I can't grow a beard, okay? I'm just going to, once again, you can judge me. Aaron Rodgers is sitting right here. He can grow everything. <laughs> I can't grow a beard. When I let the hair on my face grow, I look like a leper, Okay, it, I am splotchy all over the place. It is, it's horrendous. So, and my wife, thank God, likes me clean shaven. I hate that every morning it's back. I hate that. I have to shave every morning. One, I like my wife kissing me, and she appreciates that. And two, I look really bad when I don't. But I, the monotony... I mean, I'll, I'll literally like be laying in bed and I'm like, I need to take a shower. And then I'm like, shoot, I got to shave. It just nonstop. No matter what I do, I have to shave in the morning. When I said at the beginning that I want us to process this at a kind of philosophical level, my gut tells me because I experienced the same thing, that some of you are at different levels of this even right now, right? Like some of you, you've, you've created a cycle to where you're standing it with not too much pain, and you're going, yes, if I really process, I'm realizing that I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again. However, I've got enough things in my life that are making me excited and keeping me focused, and I'm moving forward. But I know that you've experienced this where it just feels like, ugh, what's the point? Some of you right now are literally going, yes, amen, Solomon, that's exactly where I'm at. What is the point? Like, let's go philosophical right now, right? Is it even worth existing? Some of you are so trapped in what you've attempted to do to escape whatever that looks like, positive or negative, that you don't even know what's going on around you. So what do we do with it? To, to argue that this isn't the reality is foolishness. Here's the hope. The hope is that Everything that exists isn't under the sun. The hope 
is that we know that there is a creator and we understand why things have to be this way because of our choices and our sin and the ramifications of how that works. But we also know that there is a life that can be lived through Christ that breaks up all of the monotony. And instead of focusing on everything that's under the sun, we have the ability in Christ to focus on everything that's above the sun. And that changes everything. Your life is not intended to be lived this way. Of course there's going to be monotony, but when you're living for something that is eternal, and outside of this present age that we live in, everything changes. See, I think that I think that the issues in the, especially the American church, it's all I can talk about because I don't spend a lot of time outside. In the American church, is that for so long the gospel was expressed as a means of salvation in this experience to prevent you from when you die going to hell. And that's accurate. But it stopped there. So if you remember my testimony last week when I said the faith that I was taught as a kid wasn't strong enough to get me through this present age and the struggles that I went through with it. So something had to change. I either had to come to the conclusion that God isn't powerful enough to help me get through those things or what I was taught and the faith that I was holding on to was inept. Wasn't sufficient enough. So the goal of Christianity is not to prevent you from going to hell. The goal of Christianity is to give you a new purpose and a new life that while you're existing under the sun, you have a different perspective. You've been sent on mission under the sun for that which exists above the sun because of what Jesus did. So everything that we do in the, in the monotony of our life can have a different perspective, right? So I can run in an attempt humanistically to avoid the pain that I'm going through in life, but I can run for the glory of Jesus who can heal me and remind me that there's more to life than what I'm seeing, and that I've been invited to participate in that. See, it, it changes everything. It doesn't remove us from the world. It refocuses us on what's most important. It refocuses us on purpose. The reason that we have to go through this in such detail is because we get lost in this so quickly. Even as Christ followers, we can see the pain in our life and forget about Jesus' hope. We can get so wrapped up in trying to hide that we forget that Jesus came and died for us, and rose, and conquered sin, Satan, and death forever, and invites you to participate in what he's doing. We forget that we can do the most monotonous things, that I can shred paper listening to Madonna for the glory of Jesus, and if you think that that's incredible, 
That, I can't think of anything more incredible than being able to do that for the glory of Jesus. And you go, well, well how do you do that? How do, you, how do you sit in front of a paper shredder with listening to Like a Virgin and throwing paper into a shredder and say, I'm doing this for the glory of Jesus? It's not about what we're doing in the moment. It's about who we're doing it for. Am I working for my family or am I working for Christ with gratitude that I have breath in my lungs and the ability to actually do something? Am I... Am I, do I have my head on the swivel constantly looking for opportunities to not only see Jesus in a moment, but to glorify him? I'll tell you, one of the most amazing things that happened to me as a kid, and I got challenged with this, is I was literally shredding medical documents, and I'm like, God, thank you that you've given wisdom to doctors. It changed perspective. Something that small. Thank you that I actually have the ability to throw this into this machine and lift a bag that's behind me that's heavy. Thank you that you continually provide for me even though it's boring and hard because I'm going to wake up and not be hungry. When everything in your perspective in your mind, in your heart, and your soul moves from your experiences under the sun to the reality of the fact that you are saved by Jesus. And yes, one day you will die, but you won't. It, it turns our perspective upside down. Instead of saying life is repetitive monotony, do you know what we get to say? I wake up this morning and I, my life is a gift. What is the difference between an individual who sees their life as a gift when they wake up and their life as pain when they wake up is just how they actually perceive Jesus. That's the only difference. If you're a Christ follower, you've been blood-bought, brought into a family, given purpose, put on mission, given gifts, have the ability to make impact that doesn't just impact under the sun but impacts for eternity. Imagine how life would feel different if that was our perspective. I want to give you one example of this in Scripture. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, I'm just going to read this pretty quickly. But I was, I was pouring, like just praying, Lord, like I understand this. I still struggle with it. But where, like, give me a quick story in Scripture where this is going to make sense to me in a way that is, is, is practical and real. And so we have this moment in Matthew chapter 26 where this woman is going to do something that is focused on above and out of the sun instead of just in the sun. And I want you to look at what's happening here. It says in verse 6, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Okay, do you feel the tension? Woman walks in. This bottle of, I don't know how she got the perfume. I don't know why it was so expensive. I don't know what's going on with it. But apparently she walks in with something extremely valuable. And she walks up to Jesus and she pours it on his head. 
Now, I have questions that go on my mind. First, why did she do that? And second, why was her response different than the disciples' response? What a waste of money, lady. You could have sold that and we could have fed the poor. That's not a bad thing. What they're talking about is very practical. Yes, there are poor people. There are people that are around us. I mean, heck, he's in the house of a leper. Like, you could have sold that and given it to him. It's, it makes sense. But what we're going to find here is that there's two perspectives going on. One that's focused on what's going on under the sun and one that's focused on what's going on above the sun. And Jesus has a comment about it. Verse 10, But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, whenever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. It's that end that's most important. Nobody, it's fascinating, the the disciples' focus being under the sun is remembered in history as something wrong, even though it was practical. The lady who poured and honored Jesus with what she did, Jesus says, that's the correct perspective. And you go, okay, that's a weird story, and I don't have expensive oil to pour on Jesus, and nor is Jesus here. So what do we even do with that? The practicality of all of this is this. You have been given life. You're here. You're breathing. If you know Jesus, you have been removed from the slavery of sin. The Holy Spirit has entered you. And you have you, you are, whatever phraseology you want to use, you're born again, your heart has been moved, has been changed from stone to, to flesh. You, you have new life. You, you are a different person, which provides you different perspective. It gives you a window outside of what is under the sun. So your life, in essence, has been purchased by Jesus and is similar to what this alabaster, alabaster flask is full of. The question is, what are you going to pour it out on? You have the freedom, even in Christ, to pour your life out on repetitive monotony that will continually place you in this cycle of, okay, Lord, I'm doing this, but I'm, it's hurts, and I don't even know what to do, and I'm struggling, and I'm just going to numb myself to whatever I you numb myself with. And Jesus will let you do that. It won't be comfortable. He'll be knocking, but he'll let you. And then every once in a while, we come back and say, oh, forgive me for having a poor perspective, Lord, and help me, and then we go through the cycle again. Or, we learn 
that we're given life so that we can pour it out for Jesus in that which is eternal. In that which, the beautiful thing about it is Scripture makes it very clear that when we do that, we actually gain some advantage because joy is produced. Joy is produced. The realities of what Solomon is talking about are real. The realities of the hope of Jesus are also real and they will clash together. The question is, what are you living for? There's things in my life that I'll tell you right now, I have, I've been convicted and I'm constantly going, okay, there's some things in my life that I have I feel like I pour out for Jesus and I experience joy in that. There's other parts of my life that I haven't yet done that. This is called discipleship. It's constantly realizing what I need to die to self and reorient to Jesus. So what do we do? I, I, there's, there's two things here. One, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you are stuck in the monotony of what Solomon has described here, and there's no way out until you grasp that Jesus is the one that allows you to see outside of it. And he's the only one. There's no hope outside of Jesus. Why? Because everything else will tell you you have to keep working for it, and we've already established that it's a waste of time. Jesus says, you don't work for it and you can't work for it. I do all the work and I give you rest and peace in the midst of the struggle of this world that's not going to change and provides you purpose so that you can experience joy even in the midst of it. If you are a Christ follower and you lack joy, it just means you're not applying Jesus to your life. If that's you and you said, man, I want to know Jesus, you can do that. That's where it starts. You can talk to somebody afterwards. You can turn to the person next to you. Do you know Jesus? Yes. Can we have a conversation? For the church, the question is, what are you living for? If your life feels like this constant monotony, then I can tell you right now that Jesus isn't being applied. So what needs to change? What do you need to do different? What areas of your life do you need to invite Jesus into so that you can experience his joy? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of having it. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, of you understanding. Lord, I want to pray right now for anyone that's here today that doesn't know Jesus, that has never given their life to him. Lord, I ask that you would regenerate their heart, that you would give them a heart of flesh, that you would remove that heart of stone. Lord, we live in a sin-cursed world in sin-cursed bodies that produce so much hardship and pain, yet, Lord, that's the world that you broke into. That's the world that you provide hope in. So I pray that your church would see the reality of that, that we'd be truly honest, that we'd let the Holy Spirit really work in our hearts and show us where we are not experiencing joy, where we are not experiencing purpose, 
and we're allowing the curse of this world and that which is under the sun to affect us more than you. Lord, convict us of that. Change our hearts. Help us live for you in every way possible. Lord, I ask that anyone right now who is experiencing this monotony, this depression, this does it even matter anymore that you would speak very clearly to their hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.